Welcome to Technovation, I'm Peter High. My guest today is Chris Beatty. Chris is the Chief Information Officer of ServiceNow, an enterprise cloud company with roughly $5 billion in annual revenues and 14,000 employees. The company's now on a path to $10 billion in revenue and beyond. He's held the post for just under six years and in that time has helped drive remarkable growth and transformation across the company. Uh, as a CIO to a company that serves many CIOs, Chris has special insights into the evolution of the role across industries. He's also been a CIO multiple times over with past stints at companies like VeriSign and JDSU, and he began his career in management consulting with KPMG. Chris Beatty, great to see you as always. Welcome. Great to see you, Peter. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, Chris, as I mentioned at the outset there, you are you have quite an interesting role. You are a CIO and serve a lot of the kind of traditional role inside of uh, ServiceNow. I might add a, a, a company itself that has a lot of tech talent outside of the IT department. Uh, but you also spend a lot of time with your peers uh, as an advocate for the company, as a, uh, a person to commiserate with, as, a, as an advisor of sorts to them as well. And as such, you have perspectives both as a leader uh, of the function, but also one who, who speaks so often with other leaders. And I know, as I mentioned at the outside again, you, you have uh, experienced across your uh, roughly a little bit less than six years with the company, just remarkable growth and transformation within ServiceNow itself and also helped foster a lot of the same with a lot of your, your client companies. I, I thought we'd begin with a, a rather broad topic of digital transformation. You know, across especially the past year plus that's the, of the quarantine related to the pandemic, um, all things being equal, digital transformation and the degree to which organizations had focused on it has been a source of resilience for those who have. And I wonder if you could maybe take a moment to reflect on some of what you've seen uh, and some of the steps that leading organizations, including your own, uh, have undertaken in order to foster that resilience during a very trying time. Sure thing, Peter. And, and as you mentioned, ServiceNow serves about 80% of the Fortune 500. And I have the privilege of talking with a lot of the leadership teams from those Fortune 500 companies. And you're right, resilience does come to mind and we can all go back to last March we're all scrambling, trying to figure out what's next, how do we organize ourselves, how do we keep our companies running, and tech um, became the source of resilience, if you will, helping us all easily transition to work from home as supply chains were disrupted, how do we leverage technology to bridge the gap, and I think that was sort of the first chapter as we all reacted to the pandemic, but since then, we've actually seen people starting to double down materially more on digital transformation than they had in the past. And it's really three big themes that keep popping up across every, every conversation. The first one is how do I use digital to either protect my top line or invent new digital services to grow it? So as the traditional means of reaching the customer have been interrupted, how do I leverage digital to, to maintain that connection with the customer? You could have, for example, companies like Pepsi launch snacks.com, a direct-to-consumer offering. You have manufacturing companies starting to create software business models, subscription revenue, right? And, and healthcare companies saying, how do I innovate on the patient experience with video appointments? Things that had maybe been on the back burner for a long time, but the pandemic absolutely accelerated. So the first one is all about that digital connection to the customer and how do you maintain that? And how do you start to grow revenue with the invention of new digital services? The second one is all about, it gets a variety of different names. Productivity, scaling operations, optimizing the financial model, 
And, and it's been an opportunity for companies to look at all the sacred cows that they've had and say, how do we, how do we get rid of this? And because of what the pandemic did is it, it took away all the constraints, all the reasons why something couldn't be done because it had to be done, leveraging technology. And as a few CIOs have mentioned to me, how do we make sure we don't fall back into, we don't allow our companies to fall back into old habits where decisions would take nine months as opposed to things getting done in three weeks. And, and, and so the second big one is around productivity, which is really around automating work. Gardner uses the term hyper-automation, which is bringing together workflow automation and RPA and process mining, where platforms start to tell you what you should go do next in terms of driving more efficiencies and speed. And the third one, um, not to be um, understated, is risk management. Enterprise risk management, new kinds of risks has emerged. People have to look at human capital risk in a new way with the pandemic. Cyber, right? There's been, you know, I won't recap the number of headlines on cyber, but remains a daunting challenge for everyone. But new sorts of risk in terms of data privacy, ethical use of algorithms and machine learning. So making sure at, a, at an enterprise level, you have, um, you know, that singular view of risk and you're mitigating risk faster than you have before to make, make, make sure you can maintain focus on the strategic objectives of the company. That's a great overview. I appreciate that. And I know that there are a number of technology trends that, that have emerged at, that you and the organization have been investing in and uh, new perspectives in some ways actually born of the necessity of the crisis that have really uh, charted a new path towards enhanced employee experience. Artificial intelligence is among those, Chris, and that's a broad topic I recognize. Mm -hmm. But uh, talk a little bit about your own perspective on the use of AI to improve uh, employee and, and even customer experience uh, for, for organizations like, like your own. Short thing, uh, and Peter, I think AI and ML, just, just a couple of thoughts on it. One is it needs to become ambient. And what I mean by that, it's just present in how we do work. So it's embedded in the workflow, it's embedded in the processes, that's one. But the second is, I think the finish line for a lot of AI and ML projects is the insight, is the dashboard, is the algorithm finding, which I think is insufficient because the finish line has to be the action taken from that insight. What are people supposed to do with what the machine learning algorithm is telling them? And that's where we've um, coined the term internally at ServiceNow, analytics plus workflows. So the analytics will give, will shine a light on new findings, new information driven by machine learning and the algorithms. But the workflow part of it is how do we help the adoption with all of our employees worldwide and help them, here's what the algorithm is asking or suggesting, but the critical part of it is we want that human feedback, the human in the loop. So the human and the employee telling us, here's what was useful, here's what wasn't so useful, so the algorithm can get better and better. So workflows plus analytics and our strategy around AI and ML at ServiceNow is an AI-driven growth strategy for every customer and an AI-driven AI -driven decision-making suggestions for every single persona in the company. Now that's a multi-year journey, but that's the vision that we have here. And with that AI-driven decision-making, embedding in workflows to help turn those decisions into actions. 
Well put. Let's let's uh, peel back the onion a little bit further and talk about uh, a related topic: virtual agents. This has again been a trend on the rise, and and people have employed these to, to to varying degrees of success to date. I know that your own vision for this, in terms of where this is headed, is uh, fairly pervasive and complex, uh, and and to the point of adding really extraordinary value. Uh, I don't want to steal the thunder of of your thesis behind this. Talk a little bit about. Chris, where you see uh, virtual agents heading? Sure thing, Peter, but let, let's let's ground ourselves in where we are today. Wonderful. I think virtual agents, um, even in our cloud, with ServiceNow's own virtual agents, which our customers are using for self-service for employees, self-service for customers, it, we've seen a, I think in the last 90 days, about 120% increase in the number of virtual agent conversations that people are having. So I think there's been a lot of acceptance. I think part of that has been embedding in natural language capability. People need to feel like they're not talking to a machine. So natural language, multiple languages are critical. And people are using it to drive, again, self-service, help me get things done in a far easier way without having to talk to another human, fire off an email to a department, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think, again, we're in the early innings of this where virtual agents will become true digital personal assistants. So we all probably have an Alexa or somewhere in our house. And in ours, it's in our kitchen. And we use it for a variety of things. We ask it to do stuff. We ask it to order stuff, set timers while we're cooking something. So it becomes a go-to, call it machine, to help us be more productive. And that's where I think virtual agents move to digital personal assistants. So let's say, Peter, you decide to join ServiceNow, I could just tell a digital personal assistant, Peter's joining on Monday, please get everything organized for him to join. And everything from your, your calendar to um, a list of tasks that you need to get done, to serving up some training that might be useful to you, all of that a digital personal assistant could do. But I do think there's still a next step, which is that digital personal assistant evolving into something I call a digital employee which has cognitive capabilities, now has the ability to learn, has the ability to recognize it's the 13th week of the quarter, so I should really help prioritize sales stuff versus other stuff that may be going on inside the company. That's how I see the evolution. I can't predict the time frame, but just knowing where technology is headed, virtual agents to digital personal assistants, digital personal assistants to digital employees that can help companies focus again on their customers and their core mission. Another really compelling example. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, one of the things that uh, folks have focused on being lost uh, during the past year plus of being in quarantine is, you know, happening upon people, uh, you know, in the hallways or being able to just, you know, kind of reach out with a quick question, you know, going from one office to another or one cubicle to another. And, uh, as, as people anticipate what the future of work might look like, naturally there are all sorts of flavors out there, but most seem to agree that there's going to be some degree of a hybrid. The office doesn't go away, it's just used for different purposes. And, and still with some work being done remotely to a degree likely uh, greater than the pre-pandemic period. And I, I know that you've been thinking a little bit about ways in which technology like augmented reality might actually overcome some of the you know, issues that people highlight and point out of remote work in order to make it feel, almost give a feel of being in the office together despite being many miles away. Uh, talk a little bit about your vision there as well. 
For sure, and I think hybrid work is here to stay. Just as an example, I'm in my home office today. Yesterday I was in the office and you talked about running into people. You know, our, our CFO Gino is there and um, we probably knocked three things out in about a 20 minute conversation, which might've taken multiple weeks over various video calls that we had. So I do think the value of ideating and brainstorming and collaborating in person um, uh, is real and that will, you know, cause people to have this hybrid work environment. Now, what you mentioned though is during the pandemic, we were all remote largely and therefore no one felt like they weren't in the room. And as the hybrid, a hybrid work model, um, people start to go back into it. The challenges or, or the, the warning would be for the, if you're not physically in the conference room, are you, do you participate less? Is your voice less heard? And we, that's where I think digital has a large role to play in terms of resolving that divide. I think the other real one is, again, Peter, I'll play along with our fictitious story of your ServiceNow employee. And, you know, I'll call it prior to the pandemic, if I didn't know how to do something, I could walk down the hall, hey, Peter, do you know how this works here? And you can answer it, and I'm, I'm on my way. While we're all in hybrid, you can't necessarily do that that easily. And that's where these, you know, virtual agents and digital personal assistants become really critical to making sure people don't get stuck. How do I keep moving forward? You know, if I'm stuck on something, how do I quickly ask a question? And the, and the virtual agent would help me, you know, move along my way. Yeah, very interesting. You've also talked about the need at the enterprise to modernize app development, uh, that the expectations that we all have relative to consumer technology has reset the expectations for enterprise technology, and there's often a disconnect between those. Um, talk a bit about how you foresee uh, some of the improvements uh, that, that might be afoot relative to app development as well. Sure, and, and I think the divide between consumer and enterprise has been talked about a lot, but I do think we as CIOs, as leaders, need to be more intentional and almost redefine, here's the critical attributes an app should have at a minimum. And unless it has those, we're not ready to use it. We're not ready to roll it out. And when I think about the, that list of attributes, it would be AI-driven search. So Google-like search embedded in the app. AI embedded in all the workflows and machine learning, where it's not some after-the-fact thing that happens over in some corner with a bunch of data scientists. AI and ML present as you're using the app. Another concept could be, you know, chatbots, virtual agents as the primary mechanism of interfacing with the app, as opposed to what most apps are today within the enterprise, which is four or five screens, drop downs, text boxes where you're filling in information. Why can't I just talk to an app? Why can't I just type in a natural language? Why do I have to follow this structure that doesn't feel very human or very natural? Um, and then obviously built with DevSecOps principles so you could rapidly iterate on it. And that's what we've done internally here at ServiceNow um, for our own IT organization. We said, here's the attributes of what we're gonna call an app. And, and, and the biggest challenge with any change is the human part of the change. So we're, we're very focused on making sure all of our app, app dev folks truly understand those critical attributes and, and for all the future apps that we do build, we start to show, show those things. Well, speaking of development, a, a trend that is certainly on the rise 
certainly during this, this period especially has been low code, no code development, uh, the whole concept of the citizen developer as well, uh, concepts that I know that you, you, you have embraced. And I'd love to understand from you, again, your vision relative to these topics. How, how do you as CIOs are perhaps uh, on, on earlier rungs of the ladder towards maturity relative to these concepts? First of all, I'd love your kind of definition of them and the, the value prop that you see, but also how you counsel your fellow peers as chief information officers to incorporate this to a greater degree into the way in which they do things. Yeah, I, I think with low code, no code, we're at another inflection point where it's revitalized or reinvigorated, whatever term one might want to use. Because when I think back, we all probably don't have the greatest memories about the Lotus Note sprawl. Perhaps it was the SharePoint sprawl. Maybe it may have been called tech debt where the movement took off, but it didn't really yield results in the way we wanted it to. And then I fast forward to today's situation where the appetite for digital transformation, for driving speed, driving productivity, a better employee and customer experience is insatiable. And I think it, it, it would be prudent to make an assumption that the central IT department is not going to be able to satisfy all the demand. So that's one factor contributing to this revitalization. The second is, I think if you look at the workforce entering uh, our companies today, uh, coming out of college, they're a lot more technology adept than prior. They grew up with technology natively. And so they can embrace low code, no code in a much easier way than perhaps prior. Um, but I do think low code, no code has to be rolled out. I think that's a given um, to Im Im improve the speed at which software is developed, not only within IT, but also outside of IT. I think, but it has to be done with guardrails. And I think central IT still has to play a role. We talked, I talked earlier about risk management. We can never let low code, no code get us into a bad spot with cyber risk or data risk or privacy risk, all those things that are critical and therefore a reason. So with guardrails, as I like to call it, and what we've rolled out here at ServiceNow, it's also not throwing citizen developers into the deep end of the pool. Um, you may recall that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Phone a friend. So phone central IT if you get stuck. Well, no one's phoning anybody anymore. You know, chat, message, whatever it is. But um, so we rolled out the framework. We've been pretty successful with it. And it's surprised me a bit. Some of the apps that people are developing and going back to that modern apps concept, there was an individual non-technical in the company that was in, getting inundated with the same kinds of questions from our field organizations every week and they wanted to do something about it. They wanted to make work better for themselves, but the app they created was a virtual agent app. Nobody told them that they had to do that. Nobody asked them, hey, could you please try this new modern apps thing that Chris cares about a lot, but um, they just did it. And I just think it's, it's, it's a sign of what's to come because people are gonna build what's easiest and what's most useful for them and for their constituents to interact digitally with them. I want to go a little deeper into something you alluded to there, Chris, and the role of IT in an environment where a greater percentage of what is developed might be by people outside of IT. Um, and especially, you know, Chris, as I mentioned at the outset, 
you are an IT leader in an IT department in an organization with a sea of engineers outside of your department. Of course, you have many contacts who you work with and counsel where the preponderance of IT talent is in the IT department. They're not fundamentally technology organizations in the same way that, that a ServiceNow is, for example. And um, I, with that as a backdrop to whatever comments might, might come forward here, I'd be curious with uh, some additional insights of yours as to how the role of IT is changed in this sort of environment in terms of its, its role as a counselor of others uh, in addition to, you know, the kinds of things that they will continue to be responsible for developing as an IT department alone. Sure. And uh, I'll hit on the role of IT first. And I think it's become more important than ever because there, there isn't a single transformation strategy, isn't a single business process, there isn't a single customer employee experience, which isn't predicated on the tech that a company runs. So if you think about that for a second, IT doesn't become in service of the business. IT is literally the business. And so the role of IT and the responsibility on IT is much greater than it's ever been. I personally enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun, but the challenges have certainly gotten up or increased, if you will. Now, to your point around people outside of IT contributing to the mission, so to speak, I think in prior generations, I would have described that as shadow IT and maybe had a negative connotation to it. But back to the comments around low code, no code, we need to embrace the analysts and, and technical people or semi-technical or non-technical people outside of IT who really want to contribute to the mission and give them the low code, no code tools so they can digitize their environment. They can, they can help contribute to the strategy but, but the other part of it, which I think is critical is the role of IT. Let's take machine learning as an example. I think IT has to adopt a little bit of the role of chief talent officers. How do I equip the rest of the organization to think about machine learning? Think about the right use cases for it. Where could you apply it in your organization and your business for this customer experience to further market share over here? Because it's easy, I think, if you're in, my role or in an IT organization, these things have become very commonplace, how to use machine learning. You know, as an example, we rolled out something pretty easy saying, if anything has a rating, ranking, or a forecast, it's a candidate for machine learning. Now that's very easy to remember, but back to the role of IT, how do we equip the rest of the organization to become familiar with these new technologies and how to apply them? I think that's a role and a responsibility that we have to take on. And it's, it's interesting, I, I, a related point to that, we've talked about artificial intelligence and, and its evolution. We've talked about virtual agents and the, the, uh, the, the likely evolution and enhanced value we might get from them. Augmented reality, uh, modern app development, low code, no code. E each of these are trends on the rise, uh, but also with companies at very differing levels of maturity, including not yet having dipped their toe in the water uh, as to some of these concepts. And I'm hearing you say that the IT department of the future needs to have a curation aspect to this, to, to, to deliver the art of the possible and help define that for organizations. Talk, talk a little bit about how you have organized your team to do those sorts of things, to you know, be among, if not the first part of the organization to dip the toe into the water, to understand what is this thing and its potential value to our organization? How might it advance 
uh, strategic priority of ours. How do you think about that? I think it, it starts with embedding this concept and, and, and this value orientation into the entire DNA of the IT group, which is anything we do in tech has to be tied to some business outcome we're tied to. It could be making things faster. It doesn't always have to be dollars on an NPV ROI spreadsheet. It could be we're very focused on deal velocity. How do we make deal velocity better? How can tech help with that? It could be employee experience, customer experience, but that value orientation. And what we've done internally, as we said, for each portfolio, if you will, which isn't uncommon for CIOs to have different portfolios, like here's my tech for go-to-market, for corporate services, let's say finance and HR, but for each one of those on a quarterly basis, what's the value we intend to create and how much did we actually get done? And not unlike a sales or a marketing organization would measure itself quarterly, I think as, as tech is becoming more pervasive, more part of the business strategy, that value orientation part becomes very, very critical. And so that, that's one thing. The second, as you mentioned, dipping your toe in the water, making sure IT itself has an innovation agenda. So if you think about horizons, here's things that are relevant this year, here's things that are relevant in the next one to three years, and here's things that are three plus years. Even those things in the three plus years, making sure you're doing something there. It could be research, it could be not maybe proof of concepts yet, but as it gets closer, making sure there's a healthy amount of experimentation and that IT has an innovation agenda because it takes a while to curate some of these concepts. And if you're thinking about something you know, too late, you may miss a business opportunity for your company. Um, and that's, again, part of the new responsibility, I think, on IT organizations. Well, Chris Beatty, thank you for a great conversation, representative of, again, your hybrid role as the IT leader within a, a fast-growing technology organization, an advisor and counselor uh, to your peer group at a great number of Fortune 500 organizations and beyond. Uh, really interesting to get your vision as to how IT is evolving, some of the technologies that are on the rise and the value that we might anticipate in the not-too-distant future out of some of those. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Peter, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.